What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, get your marching shoes on, friends. This Saturday is the big Trump tax protest march. Hey, what do you say? They just keep rolling in. (coughs) All part of the resistance. And this is your resistance headquarters right here at The Bill Press Show. So good to see you on a uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, April 11. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., bringing you up to date with all the news uh, down at the uh, other end of Pennsylvania Avenue at the White House. Not much going on in the Congress because they are out for a two-week break. But with the news from the White House and around the country, that's what we do every day, the Bill Press Show, for these two hours uh, reaching out to you. On YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show on Free Speech TV. And looking forward to hearing from you and your comments on what the whole thing means to you. Send us your comments on Twitter uh, at BP Show. Lots going on today. Yep, the White House claiming total victory in Syria yesterday because of that uh, missile strike last week. Neil Gorsuch takes his stolen seat on the Supreme Court yesterday. United Airlines dragging a passenger uh, off a plane, a passenger who had paid for his seat. And the Love Gov in Alabama finally steps down. Those are just a few of the stories that we'll be uh, covering with you. And our guest today, we'll get right to it. Look forward to hearing from you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Now, whatever you might think, this story is definitely not funny. All right, I won't laugh. I'm just going to read this to you, the first paragraph. An employee of the NRA's museum representing the nation's largest gun rights organization accidentally shot himself while he was at work. Now, how could that happen? Now, that's not, that's, who could have possibly seen that coming? The staffer works at the National Firearms Museum, which is a museum run by the NRA at their headquarters. He suffered a... I I passed their headquarters uh, going out uh, in the country. uh, Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to miss. Out on Route 66. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, they have a museum there dedicated to guns. Oh, God, if I'd known that, it would have stopped. Yeah, detour. So this person, this staffer who has not been named... Suffered a minor wound to the lower body while taking part in the firearms training at the organization's range. <laughs> Idiot. So, Idiot. yeah, they, yeah. you know, the only thing that could stop a, a dumb guy with a gun <laughs> is another dumb guy with a gun, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, be, be careful out there. So folks. fitting. Donald Trump is doing a lot of travel. and They confirmed yesterday, the White House <laughs> confirmed yesterday, he will be going back to Florida this coming weekend for Easter. Now, it's costing... 
taxpayers a lot of money. About $3.3 million for every weekend in Mar-a-Lago. Okay, all right. So here are some numbers that CNN has. Donald Trump's travel to his private club in Florida has cost over an estimated $20 million in his first 80 days president. That puts him on pace in his first year of office to surpass Barack Obama's spending on travel for his entire eight-year term. In one year, Donald Trump, if we continue at this pace, which... And he will. Why wouldn't he, will. he, you know, stay at this pace? That he will outspend Obama's travel spending for eight years. I want to see how they just justify it. Plus, on top of that, remember, uh, Eric Trump, Secret Service protection as he flies all around the world making business deals. Yeah. God, I didn't Trump, realize that. Yeah. Yes. Jeez. Donald yeah. Trump Jr., Secret Service protection as he flies all around the world making business deals. Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Secret Service protection at their house in Colorado and for their kids. Kellyanne Conway, Secret Service protection. Uh, Reince Priebus, Secret Service protection. Melania and Barron in New York, around the clock, Secret Service protection. This guy is, he, I mean, he's the biggest spend, big spender of all time. And remember, they used to beat up on Obama for traveling too much. Yeah. The waste of money to go to Hawaii, by the way. Where he came from, right. which was his home, waste of money. Yeah. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. The Bill Press Show, Tuesday, April 11. Uh, indeed, 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 with a lots to talk about here. A whole variety of topics hitting us in the face today as we uh, wake up, start the day on a Tuesday, April 11. From uh, our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill is uh, where we boom out to you, reaching out to you, all part of the Young Turks Network on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. More and more of you signing up every day. We thank you. Uh, and if you haven't done so, become a part of the Bill Press team. Go to youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show and sign up. Check out, check us out on Free Speech TV if you have a satellite dish, uh, part of... Uh, Direct TV, and also so good to join you and be uh, kicking off the morning lineup on WCPT out in Chicago. And the podcast, Peter, you can follow us on our daily podcast. Yeah, you really should go subscribe to it. If you have iTunes, you can do it there. I hear a lot of people listen to the podcast. It's meet a lot of people. Listen yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. I mean, it's it's really getting out there, and uh, you should subscribe to it. If you use iTunes, you can subscribe right on iTunes. Just look for Bill Press Show there. If you don't use iTunes, it's on all the platforms. It's probably the best thing for you to do to be go to BillPressShow.com. Uh, we have the embeddable player there. We have links on where you can listen to it on your browser. It's it Just look for Bill Press Show or BillPressShow.com. Subscribe, rate, review. Let us know how we're doing. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. All right. So with all of that, we are uh, happy to join you and thankful um, for you to for for joining us. A uh, lot to cover with our guest, Kyle Condix, going to be here from the Center for American Progress. Uh, no, 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 from the Center for Politics down at the University uh, of Virginia. Uh, Angel Padilla here from the Indivisible, the great group, Indivisible, one of the main organizers of this Saturday's big uh, tax, Trump tax protest. Uh, and our good friend from the Daily Beast, Aswin Subsang, will be along a little bit later uh, as well. 
a whole a sort of variety, a cornucopia of topics here in this first half hour. Uh, first, let's start with big news yesterday, the Pulitzer Prize uh, awardees for this year uh, uh, announced. And we are very, very happy that one of our good friends, David Fahrenholt, uh, is from the Washington Post, a man that uh, President Trump called a nasty guy. In a telephone conversation with him called him, you're a nasty guy. Uh, he won the Pulitzer for his reporting. Excellent, outstanding reporting. I interviewed him about a month ago at the Hill Center here in Washington, D.C. Uh, if you go to thehillcenter.com, that interview is uh, was broadcast on C-SPAN, by the way. It was also up on their website at the Hill Center, hillcenter.com. If you, and if you can't find it for whatever reason, we retweeted it yesterday oh, we did. At, oh, cool. at BP Show on Twitter. At oh, BP cool. Show, yeah. Thank you. Didn't know that. Uh, but David Fahrenheit, when I introduced him at the Hill Center, I said, usually uh, we celebrate the Pulitzer Prize after it's been awarded tonight. We are <laughs> celebrating the Pulitzer Prize before it's been awarded because his reporting was so outstanding. And he's the guy who happened to be out at that rally with Donald Trump uh, during the campaign when Donald Trump said, tonight, I didn't go to that debate. No, tonight I had my own event for veterans, and we raised $6 million tonight, including $1 million of my own money, which I put in. Uh, David Farenthold thought, hmm, I might check that out. <laughs> and he did, and he found out it was totally phony. Donald Trump had not put in one red dime, uh, and they had not raised, like, any money, maybe 100000 or something. So Farenholt wrote a big story on that. Then he followed up on all of the, the rest of Donald Trump's charities and the foundation and proved that he had showed that he had given put so little money in over the years. In fact, what he was doing was raising money, spending other people's money, and claiming it was his money. He exposed the whole fraud. Uh, and then he just happened to uh, get in the mail one day a little videotape um, that NBC had been sitting on, a little videotape uh, from the Access Hollywood days when Donald Trump was, of course, famously on the bus with, bus with Billy Bush and bragging about grabbing women's private parts and getting away with it because he was a celebrity. Uh, David Farrell, the winner of the Pulitzer Prize yesterday, well-deserved. Uh, and a tribute, he, a tribute to uh, uh, all of us journalists, makes us proud. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the great novel that I read uh, just about a month ago called The Underground Railroad, Colson Whitehead, uh, won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction this year for that novel, which uh, Barack Obama read, read to during his, one of his vacations. Reported. Uh, a lot of people pointed out that this was a big, big year for people of color winning Pulitzer Prizes. Uh, there were there were several African Americans that won this year, which is very good to see. Yeah, Colson White had one of them. David Farenthold, not, but no, David Farenthold, not, but a good reporter. And one other, not, but uh, winner of from the Wall Street Journal, Peggy Noonan, not one of my favorite columnists, but she's been around a long time. Former speechwriter for President Reagan, won for uh, her column. So uh, on the Pulitzer Prize, hey, a little follow up for uh, those of you who were with us yesterday uh, in our uh, second half hour. We had a couple of uh, f folks in talking about the incredible progress made in uh, the field of medical marijuana uh, and blowing our minds, at least Peter's and mine, uh, in uh, asserting, and with a lot of scientific evidence to back them up, that cannabis, particularly the, um, what, what's that word? Cannaboids. Cannaboids. Cannaboids is something that the human body really craves, 
needs and craves. And so without it, we are a deprived, sad sack of human beings. You're being. not living your full life. Not living your full life without it. Uh, just to follow up on that, uh, the New York Times reports this more. And they were talking about how successful uh, legalization of marijuana has been in Colorado, Washington State, Oregon State, and other states, and, and what a boon it is to the uh, local economy. Uh, the New York Times reporting this morning that there are, are you ready for this, 70,000 different unique marijuana products sold in Washington State alone. <laughs> That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. Like I could sit down Woo! and think of you all could the spend a lifetime sampling. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Right. Seventy thousand. Yeah. So there is one little hitch, of course, is you can go to Colorado and enjoy all these different products and sample them, uh, and in or-, or in Oregon or in Washington, but you can't take them with you. Uh, even though you may get high, you can't fly if you follow right TSA. Uh, will not permit you to, uh, though they're not they're not being too aggressive about it. They point out that in 2015, 54 million passengers went through Denver International Airport. The TSA stopped 29 for possible possession of marijuana. Um, so you'd have to bet that a couple of the other. Out of the 54 million passengers, there are probably a couple of others who, who had some product in their uh, luggage, don't you think? Probably, yeah. Yeah. So my advice would be don't put it in your carry-on. Yeah. D- right? What's your advice? Put it in your jacket pocket and fly <laughs> yeah, from California? Well, that's true. Right? <laughs> yeah, I did put it in my carry-on. So I got but- <laughs> I wouldn't suggest doing no, that either, y'all. Don't do what I did. Don't I, was, do, don't do I that. totally spaced on it and forgot about it. But <laughs> anyway, that little uh, follow-up on the uh, uh, on the pot story yesterday. So at the briefing yesterday, I have to tell you, it was unbelievable. If you believe Sean Spicer, so today's day 82, by the way. Uh, yesterday was day 81, and Sean Spicer said, that, again, if you believe him, this president has accomplished more in 81 days than Barack Obama did in eight years or than FDR did in his 100 days, which is cited as the most uh, um, successful uh, 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 and the most uh, you know, effective 100 days in the history of the presidency. But not to Sean Spicer. He well, Peter, you've got the transcript there. I do. I, I I just couldn't believe it. All this stuff that they take credit for, half of which didn't happen. Okay, so I'm going to read this paragraph from Sean Spicer mm-hmm. yesterday in the press briefing. <clears throat> Quote: As the president noted today, as we hit day 81 into the president's administration, we have done so many great things, including nominate and confirm a Supreme Court justice, roll back more regulations than any president in modern times, roll back the Obama-era war on coal, oil, and natural gas, restore confidence in the economy. We're now seeing historic levels of consumer, CEO, home builder, manufacturer confidence. There's been a 12% gain in the stock market. We've even seen a real resurgence in the mining industry. Yeah, we've reduced what? illegal. <laughs> we, we've reduced illegal border crossings by over sixty percent to the lowest level in nearly two decades, and implemented historic ethics reforms, 
historic ethics reforms, yeah. including a five-year lobbying ban and a lifetime <laughs> foreign ban. All of that. I mean, that's just, all that he says that they've accomplished. Uh, he also announced yesterday some new job thing, which uh, Toyota says they're going to spend this money. Which Toyota again had decided uh, to do like three years already, ago. Already decided. Yeah. Every single one of these jobs uh, achievements that they cite, including the Boeing plant, which Trump went down to visit, uh, all of those, all of those started under Barack Obama. And Trump is now just taking credit for them. All of them were announced like two or three years ago. All of those production lines started two or three years ago. Those decisions have been made, uh, and they're being reannounced, if you will, just by Donald Trump, so he can gain credit for really? it under his uh, uh, eighty-one days. Uh, and of but, course, but, like, but, but, but not just on the plant stuff, but like so much of the stuff that he mentions in that statement, you can directly point back to Barack Obama, like it or not. The illegal border crossings? They, they, there were more people the year before last that went south than came north yeah. under Barack Obama. That's Barack Obama. Yeah. You want to talk yeah. about the stock market doing well? Yeah. Did pretty yeah. well under Barack Obama, it too. doubled under Barack Obama. Doubled under, under Obama. Yeah, I mean, so all of these are trends that started under Obama and have continued. And then Donald Trump has the audacity to say every time he talks, right, I inherited a mess. No, he didn't. He inherited a booming economy. Uh, and, a, and, a, and a pretty peaceful peaceful world and a country that's in pretty good shape. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you separate reality from the bragging about what they've accomplished, uh, it's been a pretty ineffective and do-nothing 100 days. Uh, they did not build the wall. They didn't even start the wall. There's going to be no money for the wall, by the way, in the budget. Republicans in Congress aren't going to do that. They've announced that. Uh, they did not repeal Obamacare. They didn't bring back the coal mining industry. There's no more. There, there's no, there are no more coal miners at work today than there were when. Now, maybe you can't get it done in 81 days, but don't claim you did. Right. That's my point. I understand it takes time to turn these things around, but you can't claim that the coal mining industry is back and strong and booming. It will never be because of natural gas, because of solar, because of wind. We've talked about that. Utilities are not building coal plants anymore. They're too damn much trouble, and they're too dirty, and there are all other alternatives. So, I mean, this constant boasting. Uh, and then even, even Neil Gorsuch, right? Neil Gorsuch, who's sworn in yesterday, and Donald Trump even takes that opportunity in front of what could have been like a distinguished, civilized gathering in the Rose Garden, to, to observe the swearing-in of the new Supreme Court justice, even if you don't think he belongs there. But for Donald Trump, it was just another case to brag about what he's able to do in the first 100 days. And I got it done in the first 100 days. That's uh. even nice. You think that's easy? Uh, well, you know what? I hate to say this, but it was easy for Donald Trump. Yeah. He didn't do jack... <laughs> squat to get Neil Gorsuch confirmed. First of all, we know it was Mitch McConnell who stole the seat from Barack Obama, not Donald Trump, right? Neil Gorsuch would not be there if it were not for Mitch McConnell, not Donald Trump. So then what does Donald Trump do? He didn't even find this guy, right? He wasn't his pick. Neil Gorsuch was on a list that was given to him by the Federalist Society. 
And he said, these guys gave me a list. I'll pick somebody from this list, right? So he didn't even choose Neil Gorsuch. He put his name up there, and he had 52 votes. He didn't have to ask for any votes for Neil Gorsuch. So far as we know, he didn't ask for any votes. He didn't break any arms. He didn't twist any arms. He didn't have any people down to the White House. He didn't call any Democrats to say, will you please vote for Neil Gorsuch? It was a done deal. It was a done deal. Hello, Jerry. (laughs) I mean, this whole thing was a layup, and they're they're crowing about this as a big win. It wasn't a big win. Yeah. They got him. They got him because Mitch McConnell stole the freaking seat. Yeah. Period. That's really what it comes down to. That's that's absolutely what it comes down to. Donald Trump, uh, like you know, to to act like he had to wage some sort of a war. He didn't do anything to get this done. He You're didn't right. Do anything. No, it's total BS. I mean, you read the history. Like, uh, you know, look at the play uh, uh, that that um, the, the great about LB, LBJ. All I mean, the way. All the way all with the way. LBJ. You know, there were times when things were like real. That was the civil rights or the voting rights legislation. But things were really tough. They were considered impossible. And the president, LBJ, you know, went to work, talking to people, bringing them down, making the arguments, promising this, taking away that, whatever. And he worked it and he worked it and he worked it. And he got it through and it wouldn't have happened without him. Neil Gorsuch was a layup for Donald Trump. He didn't do anything. Um, And in terms of bragging, the worst of all for me yesterday was Sean Spicer bragging about uh, the missile strike last week uh, against Syria. Actually, it started out, the very first question in the briefing yesterday was a reporter who said, uh, okay, you have sent 59 cruise missiles in. Now, what are you going to do to protect the people of Syria? And Neil Gorsuch, I mean, Neil Gorsuch, no. Um, Sean Spicer actually said, the greatest thing we could do to help these people was to send in that missile strike. Because, he said, he went on to say, that we have, in so doing, de-escalated the violence in Syria, we have protected the population, and that we have created safe zones where people can live freely, travel freely, and feel safe, and know they'll be safe from Bashar al-Assad's bombing missions. What? He- is he smoking? He also, Who is he kidding? He also said that, that that they helped that this helped them contain ISIS. Yes, yeah, helped contain ISIS as well. Right. It didn't do any of the above. I mean, the civil war going on for six years now. I and I have believe me, believe me, believe me, believe me. I had my hand up. I was going to make this point. How can you say you de-escalated the violence in Syria? When the civil war going on for six years continues to rage every day, where Russian and Syrian aircraft have already bombed again that city where they where they dropped the chemical weapons last week, that city has been bombed again, where the where the bombing continues of civilian populations throughout uh, throughout Syria, uh, where ISIS, of course, continues to rage in the north. How can you say you de-escalated the violence? And by the way, Sean Spicer, if this raid was so successful, how come the airfield is still in operation? How come bombers and fighter planes are still taking off from this airfield, which, according to Sean Spicer, we put out of action or we obliterated? Four million people 
Four million people have fled Syria. 400,000 innocent civilians have been killed in that civil war. And of course, by the way, those people fleeing Syria are kind of going to any country that will take them, except the United States, because we won't take any at all, right? So much for <clears throat> caring about the people of Syria. But given those losses, how can you possibly say that that one little pinstripe, uh, even if you support it, even if you support it, say Donald Trump did the right thing to send a message, you cannot claim that this de-escalated the violence or ended the civil war in Syria. Uh, it, not even it, close. Just, no, not even close. Just Don't even simply, try and lie about that. Did not, yeah. But like, you could even make the argument that what they did had some strategic value, right? Which, yeah, which, I, which, which the, the air has sort of come out of that balloon, right? Like it seems to all have been pretty much BS. I, I don't, exactly. Uh, but at least you could say that. Yeah, you could. I would give them that argument. Sure. But you cannot make the argument that this was. They didn't de-escalate. They this, didn't contain ISIS. That this had any, had, had any impact at all. No. No. Didn't do it. <sighs> On that point. Told you, a little potpourri here of uh, items in this first half hour. We want to be sure you're up to date on. Yes, indeed, the love gov is gone. <laughs> uh, Robert Bentley, he made the announcement uh, yesterday. Uh, time to time to step down. He and his mistress are going off for a little vacation. Um, I don't think so. I have decided it is time for me to step down <laughs> as Alabama's governor. Yeah, you didn't decide yeah, he's it. he's decided, huh? You didn't decide it, Joker. <laughs> yeah, it was decided for you, or you would have been impeached and uh, probably spent some time in jail. As it is, he'll do community service. Uh, he's a dermatologist, by the way. So he was just examining her yeah, skin condition. That's it. <laughs> All over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, they, he's uh, he's out. He, he, uh, he uh, checked himself into a, into a local jail yesterday. And then had his mugshot taken, and uh, then he made the big announcement. And the lieutenant governor, uh, Kay Ivey, Ivey. takes over, and uh, it's going to be, as she says, a different big change. The Ivey administration will be open. It will be transparent. And it will be honest. Sounds just like him. God bless her. Man, she sounds like, yep. Grandma. so it sounds like it. I don't know. Part of what did Bentley in, by the way, because this is just <laughs> unbelievable to me, because he was texting with oh, this I woman know. he was having an affair with that was not his wife. Their texts accidentally synced up from their phones to his iPad, hmm. and his wife saw the texts. So he wrote to her, I'm so in love with you. We are so pitiful. And then... She writes back to him, yes, bless our hearts and other parts. <laughs> I guess we're talking about their brains. I don't yeah, know. Right, maybe, okay. clearly. And Kate Ivey was shocked. <laughs> yeah. Mortified to read these things. Uh, and the other big story of the day, and the one maybe the story of all yesterday that people are talking most about is uh, fly the friendly skies. Yeah, well, maybe friendly skies, but not a friendly tarmac. Yeah, we found out what happened to one passenger yesterday. This is unbelievable. I hope you've seen the video um, of the, the dragging this passenger off the plane. So uh, they overbooked, which they, by the way, all the airlines okay. do it. They do it, and uh, sometimes they get caught. 
And when they get caught, that's why you hear them say, do we have any volunteers? We'll pay you if you will take a later flight. We'll give you a free ticket and we'll pay you money. They they needed four seats. Yeah. They needed four seats to get their own employees somewhere else, by the way, which, uh, I, I mean, I thought employees who are, what do they call it, dead Dead, there's something, there's a phrase for that. They're free seats. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's a dead ride or dead, dead enders or something. Yeah, like dead header, yeah. dead headers, maybe. Dead headers. But at, at any rate. And three passengers said, fine. This one guy said, no, I paid for my seat. I don't want to take a later flight. I don't care how much money you give me. That was his right. He paid for that seat. He had every right to stay on that plane. They came on, and by the way, they had offered $800. Uh, I'd ask her a little more, probably. But anyway, eight hundred. So anyhow, they came on and they dragged them off that drag to pick them up. Somebody said looked like they knocked them out and dragged him down the aisle of the plane. He was a doctor, and he, he said he had to get to back to see his patients. I'm not sure he was telling the truth, but anyway, <laughs> he had every right to stay on that yeah, plane. That's the point. That's the point. Right. You know, like, and now the CEO of United said we had no choice. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Yeah. Customers first. Here's the thing, like, that you have to realize. Do you know why they overbook flights? Uh, because some people book and then don't show up. And then they don't show up. And so, like, it's not that they lose money, because if you don't show up your yeah. flight, you still get charged right. for that ticket. Yeah. But they want to sort of take a guesstimate at how many people might not show up for their flight and then still sell that seat. So if someone doesn't show up, the person who doesn't show up still gets charged, and then they also make more money off of the other person who booked that same seat. Right, right. So they are not being honest with how they're running their business. So they right. are purposely trying to screw the system here oh, yeah. and yeah. make double the amount of money off of people, Right, which is insane way again, to do things. If, if there were paid passengers, right, I, uh, who had if, – if the contest were between paid passengers and United Airlines – went by you showed up first or something, therefore this paying passenger is going to get the seat over that paying passenger, I could understand it. But sure. dragging him off to make room for a United employee who is not paying, right? Yeah. That, to me, is the most outrageous part. By the way, I saw uh, CBS did a story on this last night, and um, one airline expert said, you know, um, they should have offered him, just offered him more money. He says everybody's got their price. And sure enough, there was one woman uh, that they interviewed. She had a, a couple of kids with her, and she refused to leave. Not the same plane. This is a, but a related uh, incident in her case. She refused to leave until she walked off with $11,000. Good grief. And she said, hey, I'm happy. I made $11,000 on this deal. I'll take a later flight. You're damn straight. In fact, our friend Chris Van Cleve, who did that story for CBS News last night, I texted him right away and said, you give me $11,000, you can have my seat too, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you could do a lot of air travel for 11000 bucks. Yeah. Hmm? Damn straight. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a hell of a flight. <laughs> but, oh, boy, what a black eye for United Airlines. They're going to have a long time, man, living this one down. Uh, and uh, on the good side, Peter, you reported this last week, I think. Uh, rated yesterday, just happened to come out yesterday, by the way, uh, on rating the best airlines in terms of service and customer satisfaction. Number one, Alaska. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Alaska Airlines. So, 
There you go. I don't ever go. fly Alaska. I don't ever go to Alaska. <laughs> you don't have to go to Alaska. No, I, know, I told I you. They go to Palm Springs, California. I don't know why. Alaska <laughs> Airlines. It's always funny to me to see that Eskimo on the plane when you're in Palm Springs, California. Sort of <laughs> a little jarring image there. <laughs> on the political front, big special election day out in Kansas and a lot of special elections this year and leading into next. Kyle Condick from the Center for Politics, University of Virginia, joins us to walk us through it all. We'll be right back. Um, yes, sure. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet on a Tuesday, April 11, uh, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., where even with Congress out of town, there's a lot going on, a lot to talk about on the political front, particularly today. We are coming to you from our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women. Teachers of America, doing the Lord's work in the classroom every day, of course, under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Check out their good work at AFT.org. If you're talking politics, special elections today, three special congressional elections, one of them today, uh, this year, two governor's races this year, and um, some reports that uh, Republicans may be concerned about holding on to their majority in the House, believe it or not, even before reapportionment next year. What's it all about? Here's Kyle Kondik from the Center for Politics down at the University of Virginia, one of the uh, editors, authors of uh, contributors, producers, whatever, of a new <laughs> book called Trumped. We were all trumped on November 8th, the 2016 election that broke all the rules and indeed Indeed, it did. Congratulations, Kyle. Thank you, Bill. Uh, I think I think that this is very, very important because I think anybody that works in this political realm or covers politics has to admit that in 2016 we were wrong. Yeah, I think that's basically right. And it was a it was a strange election, obviously. And and uh, you know, I think uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things to say about the election. Some of sure. which we say in in in, uh, in the book Trumped. Um, the one thing that that I think sticks out for me is I think that. We got distracted by the idea that the election was a referendum on Trump when it was really a referendum on Obama and Clinton, I think. And for as I, I think there were a lot of people who really didn't really like Trump all that much, but they sure didn't like Clinton. And, they, yeah. you know, and so, you know, I, I, I think we, we got so focused on Trump because he took up so much oxygen that I think it maybe was a distraction a little bit from Clinton. And also, you know, the last 10 days or so, of the election just really did not break her way at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway. Would Bernie have won? That is a good question. Uh, I certainly think that if you are a Bernie supporter, as you are, Bill, <laughs> um, you certainly can make that case. Uh, I don't. I, I find it hard to. I just don't know. I think the election would have been kind of different. I think it probably would have been more policy based, and sort of the argument against Bernie would have been instead of basically a corruption argument that he basically goes too far. I. I certainly think it's possible. I think it's possible that Biden could have won too. Although there, there have been, in fact, I, I forget. I think it was a, a lawmaker, a law, Republican lawmaker, might have been Lindsey Graham, said so, yesterday, or someone else said, 
um, oh yeah, Joe Biden would have won in a landslide. I, mean, I think it was Ben Sass from Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if that's true either, because Biden has always been a better candidate on paper than he has been in but practice. But as you say, so it, but it, it, you, who knows? Did right? you see, by the way, Martin O'Malley says that he would have oh. won and Bernie would not have won. Oh, uh, yeah, Martin O'Malley. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, okay. yeah. Come on, Martin. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the, the thing. N- no wonder nobody takes him seriously. <laughs> the problem for Clinton is that you know she really just got crushed in rural areas and small cities across the Midwest. One would think that. Probably Sanders or Biden could have done a little bit better in those places. Uh, and I think Bernie well, probably would have added, um, you know, turnout on college campuses in some places in the Midwest were not particularly great either. Um, so, and again, you, you didn't need that many more votes. I mean, Clinton did win the popular vote. Yeah, she lost, yeah, she lost right. uh, you know, Florida, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan all by a, about a point or less. So, but it's about seventy thousand votes, right? And yeah, it, so so the difference in the election right. was was about seventy seven thousand votes in three states: right. Michigan, right. Three Pennsylvania, states, yeah. and and uh, Wisconsin. And certainly, um, who knows whether uh, Bernie or Joe would have would have won? But it would have been a different campaign. Yes, uh, waged on different issues. Yes, uh, and certainly on the um, the economics or the um, populist economics issues. Bernie would have matched Trump. I mean, but and, the same page, uh, as opposed to Clinton, who was off on another planet. Almost, well, and, right? and you know, I think. I and think, if I just may add, sure, Bernie would have gone to Wisconsin. <laughs> I think that's probably right. And I probably it's unlikely he would have lost Michigan or Wisconsin. Probably right. Yeah, I you think know, that's so. right. Pennsylvania might have been a different story, and Pennsylvania <laughs> wasn't a, tougher. Was, wasn't tougher. as close as those states, but yeah, I, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty defensible. Yeah. So what does it say? Uh, you know, you just handed me your book. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. By the way, you can get it wherever books are sold, local bookstore or on Amazon, of course. Trumped, easy to remember. Trumped, if you want to know if you can bear <laughs> living through the 2016 election again. But it's worth it because we learned a lot from it, I hope. Um, what does it say that in this century, which is only 17 years old, we've had two presidents that got there um, without winning the popular vote. So there was there was only really one other time in American history where this happened, and this was the late uh, 19th century. <laughs> and it was also a time of intense partisanship and two very balanced parties. And so in 1876, you had uh, Rutherford B. Hayes winning in basically the the uh, a committee sort of gave him the election. I mean, he didn't probably didn't win. Um, but that was sort of the deal that made Hayes president uh, ended Reconstruction. Uh, and then in 1888, you had the incumbent president, uh, Grover Cleveland, who won the popular vote, lost the election. He came back and won in 1892. So you had mm-hmm. the, the only president who served non-consecutive terms uh, with Cleveland. But um, the, the eras are similar in that very, very partisan eras and um, the, the country is very balanced uh, politically, and I think that's sp- sort of where we are right now. But doesn't it say that we have an electoral system that does not reflect uh, uh, the population? I think I think that's I think certainly think you can make that argument. Um, and uh, you know, particularly in this last election, I mean, the 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 Gore the Gore Bush one was was you know Gore won the popular vote by about half a percentage point, and right. Florida was you know super duper close. So it was it, in some ways it was a closer election. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, the Electoral College does benefit the smaller states a little bit more. I mean, there are states that really should only have one electoral vote, but they actually get three because 
uh, the, the, the electoral votes represent the, the two senators and the one member of the House that they have. And so it is a little bit of a built-in advantage for Republicans. And certainly Trump, whether by design or not, his appeal was almost perfectly calibrated to, to do what he did, which was to win the Electoral College without winning the popular vote, because uh, he had this special appeal amongst working class <laughs> whites who dominate in the Midwest, the yeah. uh, historic swing region in the United States, which has been true really forever, that that, that region would swing between the two parties. Will it ever change? Uh, hard to say. I don't think so. There's a... Um, uh, there's this uh, 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 national compact, uh, I think just called National Popular Vote, uh, that some people have been pushing. And basically they, they want all, a, a certain number of state, leg- state legislatures or in states adding up to 270 electoral votes to agree to award their electoral votes to the popular vote winner. There are a number of states, mostly Democratic-leaning ones, that have done that. That's probably the the easiest, if anything could be easy, because way to change. Because it avoids having to amend the Constitution. That's right. That's right. And so uh, if if <laughs> Democrats, I mean, well, here's, a, here's a, a potentially plausible thing. Democrats have a big midterm this year. They want to win a bunch of state legislatures and governorships, which is certainly possible. And then there's a national effort to change that system in 2019. Could that happen? Yeah, sh- potentially, yeah. I forget. Uh, I, I know that movement, and I've... Um... I've written about it, but I forget exactly where they are. They're up to about 170 electoral votes. I think that's so far. right, and yeah. I. But I think, I th- and I think they have some of the big states too. I, I, yeah, I think California is right. involved. I this is from memory, so I might be messing that up. But um, there are there are a number of states that are, that have done that. Right. Um, yeah. And but and again, a lot still of, short of 270. Yeah, right? they're sig- significantly short uh, of 270. Right. Um. Uh. And um. That's uh. That. I'd love to see that happen, but it's uh, it's going to take it's going to take a while. Uh, again, the book is Trump Center for Center you know for the other thing politics. to note about about if we were to have a you know popular vote system is you know Trump said after the election, well, uh, you know I would have campaigned differently had had I known that that there was a popular vote system, and he is correct that that the campaign would have been totally different, and so it would it would change the electoral calculus. It would basically. Um, there'd probably be a lot more campaigning in big cities, and you also would uh, see yeah, and the big know, states a lot more campaigning yeah. on the west coast and the east coast, and yeah, uh, which mm, we may not get to Montana this year. Yeah, yeah, which which you know <laughs> which I mean wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. It would just be a, a different a different set of priorities, I think. So indeed. Um, so let's talk about um, politics. Never stops, right? This year, twenty seventeen, we thought it, it was it be a year off. It's not. Uh, on the congressional front, there are three special elections, uh, including one today in Kansas uh, for Mike Pompeo's seat. So this one is really interesting. This is Kansas's fourth district. It is uh, 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 around Wichita in uh, su- uh, kind of southern central Kansas along the Oklahoma border. It is a blood red Republican district. Trump won it really? 60 to 33. Wow. So 27 wow. points. Yeah. And yet. Over the last week or so, uh, National Republicans have been sounding the alarm bell. They, the National Republican Congressional Committee has been spending some money there. Not a huge amount, but a little bit of money. Uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence have recorded robocalls for their candidate, who's the state yeah. treasurer, Ron Estes. Um, and uh, we've just seen this rep- some reporting basically indicating that uh, polls, you know, the Republicans leading, but their Democratic yeah. enthusiasm sky high. Republican right. enthusiasm is not there. Let me just stop you for a second mm-hmm. just to uh, get a little sound from Kansas. Uh, Ted Cruz was out there uh, yesterday saying, my God, we can't let this guy, James Thompson, the Democrat, win. National Democrats 
are excited about the chance, the possibility, to have Kansas send a member of Congress who will be another knee-jerk vote for Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> yeah, there he is. That's that old line. They use that again. By the way, you hear Does Ted that Cruz. still work? You know, it is interesting um, about, about uh, Nancy Pelosi is... It's um, been 10 years since she's been speaker. Easy. There's yeah. basically Republicans still believe that Seven she that, that she's such a loathed figure on the right that she still motivates people. That's that's what they believe about it. And I'm sure they have focus polling groups and polling to yeah. to, uh, to back that up. So uh, you, you are going to see her come up now. You know, it's sort of they're I, I, not they're not sure she's not in charge anymore. So I, it's I a little bit say, different I, calculus. I, I, I just say one thing that I learned from this election <laughs> or the, the 2016 election is like. It's really not that hard to uh, beat the hell out of a female politician. Yeah, yeah, that's it's and totally you can get away point. with it. It's you totally can totally get away point. with it. I mean, the way I mean, I don't think that the lock her up, crooked identity would have worked as well on a male politician. So, like, if Republicans have a disliked, powerful female Democrat, they're going to beat her into the ground. Yeah, because you can do it. Yeah, you yeah. can get away with it. Um, by the way, I just want to say you hear Ted Cruz speak and you realize, God, what a lousy candidate he was. Yeah, uh, but here, here you mentioned the robocall. I just wanted to get that in. Uh, here's a uh, Donald Trump. This Tuesday, April 11th, there is a very important special election for Congress in Kansas. Yes, in your district, so you got to go out and vote for Estes. Um, hard to believe the Democrat could win that, but... Yeah, and, and also it's a seat that, practically speaking, even if the Democrat won, I don't think you could hold it for any length of time, but it would be a total shock if he won. Yeah. Now, yeah. what... What what I'm more interested in, I mean, obviously I'm very interested if he wins. Just to and make him nervous, so but, it's, a, it's but, sort of a victory. <laughs> well, it, it, let's say let's say uh, the D Republican wins by ten in a district that Trump won by twenty seven. That would continue a trend in special elections so far at the state legislative level, where Democrats generally have been running ahead of Clinton's performance. Not always, but generally, yeah, right? Uh, in some cases, in a significant way, uh, and it, it seems like at the very least the Democrats going to outperform Clinton in this district in a significant way, even if if that even right. if he loses by double digits, and it it it's sort of uh, it can be a measure of enthusiasm because in a spe in special elections and in, in midterm elections, you know the turnout's lower than the presidential, and often the out party, the party that doesn't hold the White House, has more motivation. And mm -hmm. so if sure, we keep getting sure. data points in these special elections, you know there's one coming up in Montana soon. There's going to be a uh, Georgia six yeah, first yeah. round on next Tuesday, it starts to add up and could be a, an indicator of uh, of some momentum on the Democratic side and maybe not so much on the Republican side. Uh, you mentioned the other two. So Montana uh, is also one where Democrat has shown significant strength, right? Surprising strength. Yeah, there's there's there have not been any polls in Kansas 4 publicly, although uh, we know the Republicans have some polls. Montana? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. there has been a public poll in Montana. Oh, got it. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the, the Republican, Greg Gianforti, who was the Republican, gubernatorial nominee last year uh, who lost the Democratic incumbent he's up by about 10 points and again that's that's also less than uh, what the the presidential mm -hmm. margin was in Montana uh, Trump won by close to 20 points um, so that's another one to watch and then there's there's even one in South Carolina coming up in uh, South Carolina five which uh, um, for House of Cards fans that I think is basically the district that uh, Kevin Spacey's character <laughs> used to represent oh, in the show oh, mm -hmm. a little right. trivia but yeah um, but uh, um, 
there's that's another one where, again, you would not expect a Democrat to win. But if this is a trend across the country, we may, may be talking about South Carolina five too. All right. Uh, now, Georgia six, which is next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, interest in that. Uh, John Ossoff is the uh, young Democrat running for that seat. Uh, was that was held by Tom Price. Do we know the Republican? No, it's a wide open thing. So it's a so jungle it's, it, primary. It's a, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a different Here. kind of format there in that everyone runs together. And if yeah. someone if someone and Ossoff's the only one who can get over 50 at this point, if he gets over 50, it's over. It's finished. over. If otherwise, not, it's a top two. Yeah, uh, top two. And there are several credible Republicans. They're all polling at around 10 percent. Probably the most uh, prominent candidate is, is a woman named Karen Handel, who used to be the Georgia Secretary of State. Yeah, yeah. She has run for bigger offices unsuccessfully, although she's been very competitive in primaries. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to see if if uh, if Ossoff can get over 50 percent. This is a district that Mitt Romney won by 23 points in 2012. Trump only won it by a point and a half. So it's it's <laughs> an affluent, well-educated suburban Atlanta district. Those are the kinds of districts that um, have been moving toward Democrats over time, particularly at, in the 2016 election. Uh, so the Democrats, are, I think, are looking at this as kind of a test case for um, some other districts in the country where they're going to try to run credible challenges next year. Right. And uh, many organizations are involved there. Uh, MoveOn.org, out with a new, uh, a new ad for uh, John Ossoff. Is this what responsible leadership looks like? Donald Trump just tried to take health care away from millions, including over 57,000 people in our district here in Georgia. For those with pre-existing conditions and low-income seniors, that could mean the difference between life and death. We need responsible leaders in Washington. In Congress, John Ossoff will work to improve access to health care, not deny it. On April 18th, let's send a message to Donald Trump. Vote for John Ossoff. A week from today, April, uh, and Asaf has raised an incredible amount of money. He raised eight point three million dollars in the first quarter, <laughs> which I have not—I don't know this for sure—but I, I think it's basically the biggest house fundraising quarter by anyone ever. It's insane. I mean, yeah, the, yeah, I mean, some, the only other, the only other possible exception race. would be. Um, you know, sometimes the, the the House Speaker, be it you know Pelosi when she was House Speaker, or Paul Ryan or John Boehner, they'll be raising money basically for the whole caucus. So they'll bring right. in millions yeah. of dollars yeah. a quarter. Yeah. But for Ossoff, who's a first time candidate um, running in this special election, it is an incredible amount of money. I mean, eye popping. Right. Um, you guys, you and Larry Sabato, you've taken a look and uh, look. Virginia is your home base, right? Yes. Uh, governor's race this year in Virginia. Very interesting. Uh, uh, let's start with the Democratic primary. Yeah, so uh, Ralph Northam, the lieutenant governor, uh, was sort of seen as the clear nominee. He didn't have any challenge. And then right after, right at the start of the new year. Uh, Tom, by everybody. In yeah, the everybody in, the, in, in Virginia politics, including our two Democratic senators and the governor. Uh, and uh, uh, Tom Periello, a uh, former congressman who actually represented Charlottesville, where UVA is, uh, for one term from uh, 2009 to 2011. Periello kind of surprisingly decided to get in the race. And so there's been it's, it's this should be a very competitive primary. And it, it, it's easy to look at it as kind of an insider versus outsider thing. But it's much more complicated than that, because Northam is sort of s- supported by the Virginia Democratic establishment. Um, a lot of the former Obama team really likes Perriello. 
Uh, and so there have been uh, some some of the Obama folks endorsing Periello, including John Podesta. Bernie Sanders has endorsed Periello, uh, and so Periello worked at the Center for American Progress for a while. That's yes, yeah, that's right. So John Podesta, that connection. And yeah. What's also interesting is that while I think this is this is this primary is in some ways a race to the left, both Northam and Periello have kind of uh, uh, sort of flaws on their record if you're trying to move to the left. Mm. Periello um, uh, was uh, uh, voted for the, uh, uh, God, I'm blanking on it, the uh, Bart Stupak Amendment um, to the health care bill that would have sort of limited uh, uh, yeah. abortion spending. Uh, uh, Northam oh. voted for George W. Bush twice. Uh, and so it's... So, I'm sorry, that should be sort of disqualifying if you want to be a Democratic well, candidate. Well, you know, it, 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 I think it points to the way that Virginia has changed so much yeah. in the last 10 to 20 years because Periello, Re, Periello represented a, a Republican-leaning district, and I think that he was looking for ways to sort of d- differentiate himself. Um, but he also proudly voted for the ACA and defended that vote and, and you know, almost won re-election in, in 2010. Yeah. Uh, but both candidates have sort of vulnerabilities trying to move to the left. Yeah. Uh, and are it would either which one would be a stronger candidate against Ed Gillespie? Uh, so opinions differ on that. I think certainly the Virginia Democrats think that Northam is the stronger candidate. Um, maybe a little bit, maybe not going to rock the boat as much. Periello, there's some thought that he would nationalize the race in ways both positive and negative for Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know. I guess my my instinct would be to probably say Northam, but I also think that Periello could generate a lot more energy potentially. So, I, I you know, it, it, let's put it this way: if Trump is unpopular, both of them could probably win. Huh. Uh, and yeah. it looks like the Republican so, candidate is going to be Ed Gillespie, the former Senate candidate and RNC chairman, uh, who is is a, a pretty strong candidate. I think. Who would he is a strong candidate, but he would have to distance himself from uh, from from Trump, yeah. particularly in Virginia. Virginia now. Uh, purple, but almost blue, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Clinton did a little bit better there than Obama did in 2012, and of course, the you know the 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 area driving growth in Virginia is Northern Virginia, which is very Democratic now. Yeah, um, New Jersey. Uh, so there's there are competitive primaries on both sides. It looks like Phil Murphy, uh, who's a um, I work for Goldman Sachs. He's a former ambassador to Germany. He looks like the um, the prohibitive favorite to be the Democratic nominee, and Chris Christie's, uh, you know, he's leaving office at the yeah. end of his two terms, immensely unpopular. Right. Uh, I think that the, the Democrats certainly start as a favorite in New Jersey. Should Republicans be, now we, a, a lot of people have said um, Democrats can forget about taking the House back until 2020. Yeah, I don't Re- believe that. Reapportionment and the whole thing. I, I, that's my question. Should Republicans be nervous about 2018? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, we, you, there's a there. They have a president in the White House who is, uh, you know, his 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 approval rating is is more than ten points worse than his disapproval rating. It's his averages approval is about forty percent. Disapproval is fifty two, fifty three percent. You look back at history, presidents with those sorts of ratings generally get do very poorly in the midterm. And so the Republicans do have some structural advantages uh, in the House. You know, the maps in, in many states are sort of drawn to, to favor them more. But if it's a yeah. wave environment, those sorts of advantages wash away, I think. I think history teaches us that. Um, now, the Senate's a different story because, you know, the, 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 the Senate's 52-48 Republican, 
But the the seats being contested in 2018 are very Democratic. 25 yeah. of the 34 are already held by Democrats. Republicans only have a few really plausible targets. There's a there's sort of an inside straight the Democrats could draw to win the Senate, and that would be holding all of their seats and then winning uh, Nevada, which is certainly plausible. It's a, kind of a blue or purple state. Right. Uh, um, Arizona, and then uh, the 51st seat would be beating Ted Cruz in Texas, which would seem to be very difficult. Um, but again, if the environment's bad enough, it's possible. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I would see. say the Democrats have a better chance to win the House than the Senate. Right. And, yeah. and, gov- and, and actually, the most fruitful kind of race for them this year may be the governor's races because there are a ton of open governorships. All right. Hey, Kyle, so great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. The book again is Trumped. Uh, from the Center for Politics. We'll be this right back. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, get your marching shoes out. It's the big Trump tax protest march this Saturday, April 15. Of course, hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Tuesday, April 11, good to see you. It is The Bill Press Show. We are live coast to coast with the news of the day and look forward to hearing from you. We're looking at you on Free Speech TV and on youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Coming to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, send us your comments on the news of the day, what you think about it all, uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. Beautiful day here in Washington. Uh, and we'll be talking this uh, first half hour of the, our second hour together uh, about the resistance and uh, the next manifestation of it. Uh, we've seen several already, but this Saturday, uh, the protest march uh, on tax day, April 15, uh, organized uh, in part by several organizations, but uh, leaders, leading organization by Indivisible uh, and uh, Angel Padilla, who's the secretary of the board at the Indivisible Guide, joins us in studio. Angel, nice to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're still at it. Still at it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, didn't think this You were was... the last time we were talking about the, the, not the Women's March, but I forget which, the, the um, next, I don't I know. I can't remember when I was here. The whole, there's been a whole cascade. It keeps going, May, yeah. I, I, It was about the town halls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so right. back in February then. Yeah, yep. exactly, all right. So yep. this is this is it, and this is gonna success. be very exciting, not just here in Washington, Well, we'll find all about <laughs> it from. Uh, from Angel and uh, your comments again on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. This guy was actually almost late to his own funeral. The man passed away, and Delta was flying his body from Raleigh oh. to Nashville 
and they accidentally put him on the wrong plane. So <laughs> he ended up going to Salt Lake City, and then they left his body there because they I've moved heard about all the, the cargo crews. Losing crews. your bags, but yeah, losing your losing body. you. Uh, <laughs> the body ended up making it literally with one hour to spare oh. before his own funeral. So not a great week for uh, airline uh, problems because there's another story. We talked about United and them dragging that man oh, forcing yeah, off of yeah. the airplane. How many times have I seen that video? It's terrible video. Well, the Fort Myers Miracle, a Class A minor league baseball team, jumped on the news. Last night, if you went to one of their games, they offered you a half-price ticket for anyone showing a United Airlines boarding pass. So if you had flown on United Airlines recently and you had your boarding pass either on your phone or in a paper ticket, you can take it to the Fort Myers Miracle and you can get a half-price ticket. Minor League Baseball, by the way, undefeated in marketing promotions. Absolutely. They have Absolutely. to get creative and kudos to yeah. this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm right. very uh, excited to see some Minor League Baseball uh, this year. And yesterday, Wells Fargo, their board announced that they are going to take back the oh, $75 yeah. million dollars in compensation from two executives who uh, walked away with it. Now, there was a whole scandal over fraudulent accounts, and the two uh, people who had been sort of... Uh, headed this up, John Stumpf and Kerry Tolstat were the names, they walked away with $75 million worth of pay and stock grants. Well, the board came and said, no, 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 you don't get to walk away with that money. We're going to get that money back. But actually, they got more money than that because they've already given like $20 million or something back. True, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, right. but this is the money that they had not gotten back. I know. They're going to get it back. Yeah, but just imagine how much in total they got. Yeah, yeah. The thing that I find so interesting about this is that, like, this wasn't the government that got involved. No, like, we haven't still haven't cracked down on big banks for doing this type of stuff. They, th- it was the board that caught up with them. So, yeah. I don't think it's going to get any better under Trump either. Uh, no, no, that's a shocking story about Wells Fargo. They're, they're, you know, they're making up all these fake accounts, yeah. charging people money for them, and uh, all in order to make the bottom line look better. So, we should taking some action. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show hey what do you say on a tuesday april 11 uh, good to be with you here the bill press show and good to have you with us as we tackle the uh, big stories of the day from our studio on capitol hill reaching out to you uh, all part of the young turks network on free speech tv on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, and on the great WCPT out in the Chicago area. Uh, and uh, yes, indeed, the resistance rolls on. Many organizations uh, involved uh, Our Revolution, Bernie Sanders' new group, moveon.org, of course, the Town Hall Project, the ACOU is out there, and a new player, Indivisible, um, getting a lot of excitement and having a great impact around the country. Angel Padilla is the secretary of the board of the Invisible, Indivisible Guide in studio with us. Uh, so, Angel, what's the, what, what's the plan? Well, first of all, just in general, how's the resistance going? I mean, I, I, I just see incredible signs of political energy all over the country. Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredible to watch. Uh, and having a front row seat uh, is pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I bet. Yeah, and we've already seen some pretty big victories. Um, the non-vote on the ACA is huge. 
Um, when we when we got into this, I think one of our first thoughts was, you know, the ACA is everything. I mean, Republicans have been pushing, fighting this for seven years. Trump said he was going to repeal it on day one. If we can stop this, that brings his whole domestic policy agenda to a halt, and and we stopped it. I mean, I know that they're still toying around the idea of trying to bring back another vote, but the fact that we didn't get a vote already is a huge victory, and I think that a lot of people who are involved should really recognize that. No, huge. Yeah. Right, it really yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, everything was for the last seven years. Yep. Day one, we'll repeal Obamacare. Yeah, Day and, one. Every candidate, every Republican, at every level. Yep, and, and I don't think we would have stopped it if not for all of that energy in those town halls back in February. I mean, we had we had people, crowds, thousands, crowds the size of thousands going out and telling their members not to repeal the ACA. And so I think that's what really made the difference. How how much did you pay those protesters? <laughs> nothing. They, a lot of them, <laughs> nothing. Not at all. Uh, they would bring their, you know, their their ID cards or something or their zip codes to make sure that the member knew that they were not paid, uh, you know, outside agitators, that they weren't paid, yeah. that they were there yeah. because they cared about the issue. Because they think... Do your job. Do your job. I know. Uh, yeah. I love that. Uh, and they were still getting some grief this week. I mean, there are a couple of town halls. I know I saw that Tom McClintock, yeah. who lives in a really blood-red district in Northern California, has just been getting hammered. Yeah, and so we, you know, the ACA was big during the last recess, but we also think it's important now to also be talking about the ACA, again, because um, Republicans are still dead set on trying to bring something back. I think they're embarrassed that they couldn't get it out of the House, and so um, they really, I think, if they can find a way to get it out of the House, they're going to try, which is why it's so important for people to come out and make sure that members know that they don't want this, that they see it as a waste of time. Um, It's about accountability. It's not just, uh, you know, making sure your member knows before a vote, but also after a vote. Mm-hmm. Making sure that they know that you were watching when you, when they made that vote, or in this case, a non-vote. Right. Well, it it must be a challenge um, to keep that momentum going, right? In terms of the resistance, keep that energy alive. Yeah. No. Definitely. I mean, one of the concerns that I have is that people just get fatigue, right? That that yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of noise in people's lives that you know if you. Um, there are a lot of things that are that become distracting, and it's hard to keep going on the weekends and going down to members' offices and going down to town halls. It's it's a big burden. I, I totally understand that, but I think what we're seeing is that people are so um, energized and people are so focused on trying to resist that it's, it hasn't died down yet. So, so where do you direct them? First of all, and people reach you by it's indivisibleguide.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, they, and if you go to our website, you can see um, some of the things that we're pushing out, uh, some of our resources. We have a ton of resources for recess. We also have a directory. So if you are interested in getting involved, you can just type in your zip code, and then it'll tell you whether there's a group nearby. Uh, there will be a group nearby because we have at least two in every congressional district and an average of 13 in every congressional district. Whoa. Yeah, so Wait, every, every single con- congressional at district? Least, at least two in every congressional at district. At least two um Chapters, if you will, or mm-hmm. groups, indivisible groups, yeah. and an average of thirteen. So in some, so you're not so indivisible, <laughs> dude. <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, it's yeah. Uh, I mean, we uh, have yeah. a ton of representation all over the country. Right. Yeah. Where are these people coming from? Um, so a lot of these are people who are already active, right, and they have their own groups, and they sort of are using our guide. But then a lot of these people are also new activists. So these are people who, after the election, didn't know what to do, didn't know how to respond saw our guide and um, and got involved. And they formed a group and now are actively resisting the Trump agenda. Um, and a lot of them have never done any kind of congressional advocacy. So a lot of what we're trying to do is trying to give them the resources so they can be more effective. So we give them explainers about the legislative process, something I didn't think that anyone would want, but um, yeah. that's what people are asking for. Uh, we give them scripts on what to say when they're calling on an issue. Um, and really one of the biggest things that we try to do is 
prioritize things that are coming, uh, going through Congress. There's so much that happens in Congress, it's sometimes hard to figure out what exactly matters and what doesn't matter. And so we spend a lot of our time trying to clarify for, for folks what those things are. And does that include getting involved, like we were talking the last half hour about some of the special uh, congressional elections this year, does that include getting involved in electoral politics? So our groups, again, they're everywhere, yeah. uh, and they're so energized. Um, and that kind of grassroots mobilization and organizing has a ton of different effects. It's not just a congressional advocacy, but it's also these groups getting involved in electoral politics, also state and local elections um, and state and local policies. Um, it has all of these in, these these sort of side effects, uh, mm -hmm. great side effects. Yeah. Um, and so we're already seeing groups in all of these places active in those races. Um, they're not getting any direction from us. It's them being taking care of themselves and, and figuring out who the best candidate, who the most progressive candidate is for them. Right. All right. So um, how what is happening this weekend, and what are the plans? Uh, tax march. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, this Saturday. Uh, it's the big tax day march. Um, Donald Trump, you know, the first president since, uh, what is it, Ford, who has not released his uh, tax returns. It's a huge issue, not just for, it, it's not a, a partisan issue. It's the fact that the president needs to make, we need to make sure that our president doesn't have conflicts of interest. Uh, and this is especially true with this president who has businesses all over the country. We've already seen conflicts of interest across the board. Um, we've also keep hearing of connections between Trump associates and the Russian government, Russian interference. All of these things, reasons why we need to see his his tax returns. We need to make sure that there aren't those conflicts of interest, and the fact that he hasn't done it is unacceptable. So this Saturday, tax marches all over the country, and the ask is make sure that Trump releases his tax returns. Um, we want to get that build that momentum, keep building that momentum. We wouldn't have accepted George W. Bush not re releasing his tax returns. Nobody would have accepted Barack Obama not releasing his tax returns. Like I and and neither one of them have the potential for conflict the way that Trump does. And yet, we've yeah. accepted Yep. No, I know, and in a lot of ways, this is kind of like the the, the, the the Obama birth certificate, right? Like, Trump was one of these people that was like leading this charge of like, let, let us see your birth certificate, show us your birth certificate. If you have nothing to hide, then just yeah. show it. Yeah, and then, oh, and yet he man. won't show his, his tax returns. So. Well, I, I'm not sure you're being fair. I mean, he is under audit, <laughs> so. Oh yeah, right. Oh, that's true. That's right, that's a very. <laughs> Crucial detail. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, but but so but so one of the things. So as we've seen, there have been a ton of marches. Great, it's great to see so yeah. many people that come out. The women's march. There were a bunch of marches. There's a, a few coming up. There's the May first uh, immigration rallies and marches. All of that is great to see that energy. It's super important to get a lot of people out there. But our what we are trying to say is, um, you have to attach a congressional ask to it. You know, it's great to be out there with your friends, but if you don't push members of Congress on the issue, then you're not going to see any change. Uh, so in this case, what we want is members of Congress to actively do something about Trump's tax returns. What can they do? Yeah, so there's a there's a bill out there, the the Presidential Tax Transparency Act, uh, that if um, that if passed, um, it would require presidential candidates and and Trump to release three years of of taxes, his most recent taxes. Um, so um, you know, it's those kinds of asks that even if um, you know that actually bring us move us closer to to our goal. Right. Yeah. So that legislation. Is out there. It's out there. Yep, it's both right. in the House and the Senate. Uh huh. Uh, yep. Do you know who the sponsors are? Um, Saul Swalwell, I think, is the sponsor. Yeah, Eric Swalwell. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of the sponsors. Um, but I have to. I, I don't remember the top of my head who else was, who the other person was. But um, but no. But I, I think that's the, the the point is that, and it's not the only mechanism, right? There are different ways of getting at Trump's Trump's tax returns. There are certain committees in, uh, in Congress that can get those tax returns. And uh, Congressman Pascrell has been doing a lot of that work in the House.
Um, and we, we think that they shouldn't be, you know, they should be trying everything they can to get those tax returns. This is not, again, it's not about politics. It's not about being a Democrat or Republican. It's about, about democracy and conflicts of interest and trust in our president. And, and so the ask, the march is, is tied to the ask of, of support for that legislation. Yep. It's, yeah. and, and it's getting members of Congress to really commit. Um, a lot of members of Congress might, they might even go out and join the march, we have a speech, but then they don't do anything else. I mean, we want to really put their money where their mouth are. Right. Is the, uh, and the, is the, the march here in Washington, planned here in Washington? It's all over the, all over the country. Uh, there are marches all over the country, and you can find out more at taxmarch.org, and it has information about the marches, where they're happening, what some of the activities planned, some of the speakers, and some of the asks that were um, that we're calling for. And it also has information about the other groups. There are a ton of other groups that are working on, on this. Right, right. No, um, I, I, it was like the Women's March on Washington where um, I saw the numbers the other day. I forget how many marches across the country, four or 500 or something, but around the planet there were yeah. a lot more, you know, yeah, and, and on, I, on every continent. And every, I remember it was like, was it Antarctica yeah. where they had a... Yeah, a, yeah even <laughs> Antarctica. <laughs> Yeah, right. no, that was great. You know, and I was out there. All of us were out. I feel like everyone that I in worked Antarctica? with. In Antarctica? In we Antarctica. <laughs> um, I think they were on a boat, right? They weren't even on the on Right, the right, right. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, we were out there on, what is it, January 21st or whenever, whenever it was. Um, and it, it was great to see. And But now we need to transition that to constituent power, and that's and that's by pressuring members of Congress on all these issues. I mean, tax, return, tax returns are one of the big issues, but there are a number of other issues that are coming our way that we need to make sure that our members of Congress are voting the right way on. Right. Um, you, you mentioned some of the other marches. I know there's a big one coming up um, the weekend of the uh, White House Correspondents Center, April 29. I think that's the climate that's change climate, march. Climate march. Okay. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah, no, I mean, so these are uh, environmental issues are one of the, you know, very important to not just our members of people who are in our groups, but just progressives generally. And so we want to be supportive of all of those those marches. I think for the environmental asks right now, our position is um, if you really want to make an impact and, and make a difference, then you should ask your member not to be cutting pro funding for programs that protect our environment like the EPA. Um, you know, the budget that uh, Congress needs to pass a spending bill by the end of the month. We already know what Trump wants to do, which is cut spending across the board on programs that we actually need while ramping up funding for things that we don't need, like a border wall, like detention facilities, like um, um, more ice boots on the ground. So it's about priorities and make sure that members of Congress know that, you know, we want to fund the things that actually matter to us, like Meals on Wheels and EPA, uh, you know, um, housing grants uh, and not defense and not um, immigration enforcement. I mentioned some of the other organizations, uh, Our Revolution, MoveOn.org. Um, and the town hall project. I mean, they've, they've, all of them have been in. The ACLU, mm -hmm. of course, is uh, doing a lot more in the, on the activist front, mm -hmm. I think, than they have before. Mm -hmm. I mean, in addition to all of their great legal work. Uh, is there any... Um, do you guys get together like once a week, maybe have a little <laughs> club meeting, you know, with representatives uh, of all the different organizations? Uh, what kind of... What kind of you know, working together, cooperation is there. Yeah, there, there's a good amount of cooperation. Um, a lot we use the same, I mean, especially during recess when we're all talking about town halls, and we often use the same kind of town hall project resources, um, that there is a, a good amount of a collaboration. Um, but I think what's interesting is that we're all focusing in on the same issues for the most part. I mean, we all know the things that are super important coming up, and those are the things that we're focusing on, and so we're pretty much in messages. Um, and, and it's great to see all these organizations, and, and there are others that, um, that are now are taking this new approach of this like local grassroots congressional activism um, and advocacy 
Um, we think that really does make a difference, and so it's really great to see other organizations putting resources into it. And so there's a ton across the board that are doing that. Right. Uh, I just saw an article, uh, Peter, that uh, our good friends at the Center for American Progress Action Fund, um, Igor Volsky, and they teamed up with someone else, I don't know whether it was you or some other organization, anyhow, to put out some new information. Roster of information. Okay, yeah, These yeah. are upcoming events. Yep. This is where you can plug I think, in. I think that's the one. I think they're they're joining with Town Hall Project. I think. That, okay. Okay. And it's uh like their recess toolkits for you know what you can do, um, the asset you can be making your members of Congress, how you can get involved. Uh, it's great to see. I mean, it's the more people we can get out to town halls and district office visits, the better we are, the better, the more effective we are at resisting a lot of these bad things that are coming our way. And and one tool that you mentioned earlier, which I think everybody has 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 focused on. Are you put in your zip code, and they'll tell you what's happening yeah. in your district, which really does bring it home, yep. right? I mean, if you're in Des Moines or someplace, and you hear about the Women's March in Washington and Washington, that's great. But you know, I can't afford an airline ticket. How am I going to get there? Right? Yep. I, I I support it in spirit, but I can't get there. But yes, there are things you can do right in your backyard. Yeah. And, and our position is that it's more important for you to do it in your backyard than here in DC. That's a good point. You know, it's, yeah. it's if you can make it out here for for Big March, that's that's great. You know, yeah. Um, but, but but members of Congress are yeah. But this is a you. colony; we don't have a vote. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Exactly. <laughs> um, but your member of Congress is is not going to. He might notice that there's a big march in DC, but I mean, what he's really going to pay attention to is if back home, uh, during recess or during these events, if there are there's a big showing. Back in his district, back in his in his district office, they're going to take notice and it's going to change their behavior. That matters more than coming to DC. And so when people, I mean, we hear that all the time. It's like, you know, how can I get involved? And it's like, well, you can do it locally. You should be doing it locally. And we have again a way for you to connect with another group in your district. And we also have a way for you to find activities and events in your district. On our website, we have both the directory of groups and the directory of events in your area. Mm. Yeah, I, I've read stories of uh, some of these organizations have been around for a long time and they might have called a meeting and mm -hmm. you know they'd be lucky if 20 people showed yeah. up and now they've got a couple of hundred right yeah. or, or more we get <laughs> show up we get and it's becoming a real organizing no, a challenge it's, it's 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 really impressive i mean we sometimes get emails or, or or tweets or facebook posts that say look this is our first meeting and they have like 500 people in the room you know <laughs> and people who said oh we we planned we had a you know this we rented out a room for like 30 people and then we realized we were going to get hundreds so we have to adjust uh, and that's a very common thing that we hear from some of these groups and it's because people are so upset about the outcome and what we've already seen i mean as upset as people were after November eighth, uh, I think what we've actually seen since then yeah. is what's keeping people I, I, fired up. I think that's absolutely true because I think that there was just this sort of sense of disbelief and how did we get here and yeah. what do we do mm -hmm. and like it really didn't hit me. I mean, we talk about it every day. It really didn't hit me until the inauguration. I was just, oh my god, yeah. this is actually going to happen. Yep. And then, as you say. He immediately starts putting into action these awful policies, and it's like a reminder that, yes, he won, and this is not normal. It's definitely not normal. This is not a normal thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, so. No, and that's why people are coming out, and that's why we hope that they'll come out this the next couple of weeks during recess and, you know, make sure that they're, you know, telling members to do their job just like they were in back in February. What, um... Uh, can you uh, you mentioned earlier the ACA and I guess maybe that's a mm -hmm. big example I was just trying to think of how you can convince people that 
this is not a waste of time, that this, this really works, right? That, that grassroots uh, is, can make a difference. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think ACA is the best example we have. I mean, um, the, again, seven years to, to, to develop a plan, uh, promising to do it on day one and being unable to do it. Uh, and then we've also seen districts where groups who went out to pressure their members of Congress actually were able to change their vote. I mean, we, ha- we saw Barbara Comstock in Virginia. Uh, we saw Lance in Pennsylvania. We saw uh, Freelinghausen in New Jersey, people who, uh, who were going to vote against and uh, for, for repeal and then change their mind. And they cited all of their constituent, all the constituent pressure that they, that they faced. Who, who changed who, who were un- or the they, well, they were undecided and they weren't sure. And then because of constituent, pre- constituent pressure, decided not to repeal. Uh, so we do have examples of that kind of local organizing actually making a difference, actually changing members of Congress's behavior. The other thing that I find most stunning about this whole resistance is unless you, and it's okay if you tell me I'm wrong, <laughs> but unless you tell me I'm wrong, it's a movement without a leader. I mean, who, people ask me, who is the leader of the resistance today? Or who is the leader of um, the Democratic Party today, but forget the party. I mean, yeah. the, the the movement is bigger than the Democratic Party today, I, I believe. Tom Perez, as good as guy as he is, the new chair of the DNC, yep, yep. is not the leader yeah. of the resistance. And, and by the way, I, I think and, it, it's even bigger than Barack Obama at this point. Like people, I would agree. Which is a remarkable thing to say. I mean, it has gotten out of the well, hands of someone like Barack look, Obama. He's in Tahiti writing his book. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. I mean, he's really not even on the scene anymore. Right, right, right. But he, but, but I, well, I guess what I'm right. trying to say is, yeah. like, people are not following the lead of their elected officials right now. Democrats, necessarily, aren't following the lead of their elected officials. I'm mad as hell. They're pissed off that Hillary Clinton did not do as well as, as they had maybe hope they're pissed off that other democrats you know like didn't stand up hard enough on certain issues and so like the 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 elected officials are now having to really answer to these pissed off voters in a way that they haven't seen in a long time but the leader is not even bernie no it's not i would like to believe it is and bernie's doing great stuff don't get me wrong he's just going out with uh, tom paris and doing a whole series of rallies i think this week or next weekend over the Easter break. Uh, and he's out there. He's got his new group, Our Revolution, which is doing great things. But I mean, it's it's bigger than Bernie. Well, yeah. It's big. There it is. There's the, there's the bumper sticker. Bigger than Bernie. Bigger than, bigger Bernie. than Bernie. Well, so on the leadership thing, I, I think what we are seeing, though, is just thousands of new leaders all over the country. I mean, in, yes. in these groups, they yes. have structures. They have like a leadership team, a, a board, uh, you know, secretaries. They have committees. Um, and, and again, this is this is just a, a small slice of the bigger movement, and I totally recognize that. But seeing that kind of local leadership emerge out of this is is really incredible to watch. And then it's also leading to people who are interested in you know maybe I should run for office since you know since I'm uh, since I want to make a difference. Yeah. And so we're, we're seeing those kinds of effects. Uh, there was the I think it was the New York Times the other day had a story. You mentioned I forget the district in New Jersey. Uh, Congressman Felix Eleven, you're just eleven. Yeah, who's a good guy? Uh, I've met him, and um, American historian, by the way. There's been a Felix in the Congress, I think, since the Continental oh, Army, wow. almost. Oh, I wow. mean, it goes okay. way, way, way back. Right? <laughs> His that family, um, and a, a moderate Republican chair of the House Appropriations Committee. So the Democrats organized in that district, 
it's something like 11NJ or something, their little organization yep, that yep. they called themselves. Yep. And a woman, as you point out, just happened to be maybe she called the first meeting or suddenly she's the leader of yep. this group. Yep. And now everybody's saying, and they won. They they convinced him to change his yep. vote. Now everybody's saying, what do we do next? Yeah, no, I know. What do we do next? So it's a real challenge to her, right? You know, and to say, okay, you got us started. Now we can't stop here. We can't stop. We got to keep going. Uh, and actually, that's a super important district. Again, because he's the chairman of the Appropriations Committee. Um, there's we're talking about budgets and we're talking about what we want to fund and what we don't want to fund. That's a super important district. And so. Uh, I know, for example, that that New Jersey Indivisible group met with his office to talk about the things that yeah. they, they want to see and they don't want to see. They want to make sure that they are that he is funding things like the EPA, um, the programs that we want, and that he's not funding those bad immigration policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that uh, he actually met, he met with them or is planning yep. to meet with them, whatever. I forget yep. Yep. whether it's taken place or yep. not. Yep. But, but that whole idea, I mean, am I wrong? Is there, There's no national leader of the resistance, is there? Um, not not, no one, not anyone that I can point to. Um, but And that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I mean, um, I, mean I, I know that early on people were criticized, or one of the complaints was, is this going to be like Occupy, where there was just like a lot of people out there with no leadership? Um, I think this is, this is definitely different. Um, there is no single national leader, but it's part, there's a larger movement, and there are leaders on the ground that are actually – being like super thoughtful and, and deliberate about what they're they're doing. Not that Occupy wasn't, but um, but that that kind of leadership we're seeing, and there are efforts to make sure that they are sustainable groups that we're forming sustainable groups. That's a very interesting analogy, though, to to to, to compare mm-hmm. Occupy because as important as Occupy was, and I think it was very powerful for a brief period of time, mm-hmm. it just disappeared. It just went away. Uh, and you know, and that was also all over the country yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at at that time. So, so far the resistance hasn't, and it, it I just have a feeling that it's not going to. Either. I hope. I hope not. I mean, I hope it, it's sustainable. Well, for one thing, you've got a Donald Trump in the White House, which is probably he keeps, he keeps us helps. motivated. <laughs> He's the greatest organizing tool yeah, that we've got, true. right? It's very true. Um, I mean, that's what pe- that's what brought people out. It was. This this being super angry about the fact that Donald Trump was the president, they couldn't believe it, and they wanted to do something about it, and that hasn't changed. And the one thing you can count on is that he won't that it's going to continue to be this way, right? Yep. I mean, it's- everything that we expect from him is basically going to be terrible. Uh, I can't think of one thing where we think, um, you know, sometimes I get the question like, would you would you oppose a Trump policy if it were a progressive policy? And I was like, well, if it were actually progressive, no, I wouldn't oppose it, but. Does anyone expect we'll get a progressive policy from Donald Trump? No, I don't. So I think you just answered the question about who the leader of the resistance is. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> sort of in a perverse way, right? That is true, actually. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the best recruitment tool for, but it, but it is going to be fun and interesting to see who emerges out of this movement as the new leaders of the progressive movement uh, and of the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I, and I think I, we... Oh. I, I was just going to say, I, I think of Pete Buttigieg out in uh, South Bend, Indiana, the, the, the mayor there who ran for DNC chair. He, he's a new voice that we never would have heard of otherwise, sure. right? Yeah, and I think... I'd like be, to hear more of it. I would too. I think there are going to be a lot of people like him, younger people yep. coming up... Uh, Thanks to you know <laughs> your good work and the work yeah, of I these mean, other organizations. We're tiny, tiny sliver of what of the movement. <laughs> okay, yeah. Indivisible guide, indivisibleguide.com. Damn it, if you're not already plugged in, 
Go there and get plugged in in your own district. They'll tell you uh, when and where to show up and uh, what's next. Thanks so much, Angel. Thanks, Thanks for your We'll see yeah. you Saturday. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Damn right. Be there. Wouldn't miss it. We'll be right back and uh, talk with uh, Aswin Subsang from Daily Beast. Hello, Jerry. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, on a Tuesday, April 11, uh, it is the Bill Press Show winding up here, our last half hour. And awaiting the arrival of Aswin Subsang from uh, the Daily Beast. Uh, he'll be here, you know, just uh, running a little late. He'll be here. Yeah, right. With uh, lots of news to cover today, we're still trying to recover. And Huffington Post has a big story right at the very top. This United Airlines scene dragging that passenger uh, off the plane. And the CEO of United Airlines making it worse by saying that we had no choice. Uh, you know, we were put in a situation where it was the only thing we could. No, no, no. They, they had a lot of choices, right? They had certainly one big choice, which is let the paying customer uh, keep his seat and let the free-loading, deadhead um, uh, uh, United employee that they wanted to get, I don't know, it was a, it was a flight attendant or a pilot or a co-pilot or whatever, get to another uh, destination. Yeah, well, let them wait for the next plane, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I just fly the friendly skies hardly. And I say that, by the way, as somebody who usually flies United because I like the airlines and I have most of my miles on well, United. But, but boy, like, this is, whoa. You know, one of the things that's, that's overbooking, by the way. Overbooking mm-hmm. is the dumbest practice. And if you don't know how overbooking works, because I honestly didn't realize that this is why they did this. Like, But they purposely overbook flights because... They assume that X percent are not going to show are up. Are not going to show up. So if you, Bill Press, buy a ticket for $400 and then... Something happens, I don't You care. don't make it. Or I'm late or... Whatever. You don't get that money back. Nope. You've lost that $400. But they but, will sell your seat to somebody else ahead of time, assuming that you might be one of these people who don't show up. So that they screw you and then make money on the next person. Uh, I would like no other business does that. No, but no, but I would bet you that, uh, and I fly a lot, right? I bet you that half of the time that I fly, they're asking for volunteers. Really? Because they've overbooked. Because they've overbooked. Because they've overbooked. Yeah. You know, and, it, and I have never done it. Um, but I understand why some people do. I mean, they were offering for this flight, yeah, eight hundred dollars bucks, if you would take a. I took one one time. I, they they had overbooked and All I right. took it. It was you they get, gave me five hundred bucks and I stayed in a hotel and, and they a gave free me dinner. flight. And then they gave me the free flight. Yeah, and a free flight. Right. Uh, I Nowhere mentioned uh, mentioned earlier that there was one woman CBS News interviewed last night. Uh, she had a couple of kids, I believe. It wasn't just she by herself, but she walked away with eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> well, damn straight, right? <laughs> yeah, I I would take that. I you know I like I just don't understand why. We but, are still so uh, at the mercy of the airlines. Oh, well, in so many ways. In so many different ways. But, but I'm going to go back. In this case, it was not, again, paid customer versus paid customer. 
they didn't have too many paid customers right. that they needed seats for. They had four, they needed seats for four, four United Airline employees whom they ha- felt they had to get on that flight for some reason from City A to City B. Mm. Three of them, three passengers said, okay, I'll take your 800 bucks. They're stuck with one. You would think if they got three out of four, they would have been happy, right? Yeah. Uh-uh. No. They had to drag this uh, this uh, doctor who gave the excuse, maybe true, that he had to see patients. But I don't care what his excuse was. He paid for his seat. He had every right to stay in his seat. And the video of their manhandling him, roughing him up, dragging him down the aisle of that plane uh, is just, I mean... The idea, wait, okay, you would understand maybe, you know, if you were in Russia and the secret, the KGB did that to you, right? Sure. Or even if you were here and you were some protest and you got a little out of hand or something. But these were airline employees, yeah. right? They were like, yeah. like not real cops. Right. No, it's uh, it, it's it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And, and the fact that his letter that he wrote to United... Uh, yesterday was like put the blame on him on the passenger. The the, the CEO the CEO wrote oh, this yeah. letter and blamed yeah. the passenger for his behavior. Said that we asked him to leave and so he had to be forcibly removed and he didn't cooperate and all this. It's like shows that they just don't get it. I don't know what it's going to take for them to get it. Uh, oh, I don't either. But uh, just remember that next time you uh, you book a flight, uh, as we mentioned. Um, we were uh, awaiting the arrival of uh, Aswan Subsang from the Daily Beast. Did he get here yet? Do I, have, has anybody seen I him yet? I haven't seen him yet. God, <laughs> let's, let's put out the search party. <laughs> we'll put out the security guard looking for him and drag his ass in here. Oh, we already did. How's it going, guys? Hey, buddy. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Everything good? Is that uh, Pride and Joy hat you're wearing, uh, Peter? Is that a Stevie Ray Vaughan reference? It's a, it, kind of. It's a reference to a documentary that uh, that I like very much. But uh, gotcha. it's an old hat. But yeah, it's a, it's a based off the Stevie Ray Vaughan song. It's a great hat. Thanks, man. Uh, did you happen to see, speaking of hats, yeah. that now you can get the MAGA hat? The well, I was normally going to wear my Make America Great Again hat. Make America Great Again. Uh, but now you day. don't have to wear the red Mm-hmm. MAGA hat. You oh, it can be like gold or oh, white. Oh, wow. They're in rainbow colors. Oh, for, be, for like gay pride, solidarity, LGBTQ, solidarity. I doubt that they're for gay pride. Uh, but they are in rainbow colors, uh, at any rate, uh, for whatever. And Easter pastel colors. Thanks to, of course, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara, who's the wife of Eric I think, for Donald Jr., one of them. Um, so she hasn't made this announcement. She was wearing like a yellow one or something the other day and, of course, directed people to the website where you can buy these hats. It's all a freaking money-making machine, this whole family, right? Ivanka's got her jewelry line and her clothing line. Melania's got her cosmetics line. Lara's got her hat line. Mm-hmm. And Trump's got his hotels. I mean, it's all... And the presidency now. And the presidency, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. too. And using yeah. his his presidency to um, enrich himself and and bring more people to his properties. We, we mentioned this to you. Maybe you've written a story that one out of every 2.8 days, right, he has spent... No, I'm sorry. Two point... <laughs> What is it? Every two point, every two, third day, yeah, 
since he's been president, to forget the 2.0, every third day since he's been president, he has spent in a Trump property. That sounds about right. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. Hey, he, he he's an old man, likes doing things his way, <laughs> and uh, th- this is his routine. Um, and I, I think um, – I didn't report this, but it was reported yesterday or the day before that someone uh, uh, tallied up the numbers – and Trump has spent more when it comes to uh, security. Security when it comes to travel in the first uh, couple of months of his yeah. presidency than Obama did in a year or a term or something. Yeah, like. in a, in a, it, in it was a, one of those hypocrisy it, stories where it was like, oh, the Republican Party always knocked Obama for costing the taxpayer money for traveling or to go golf at X exotic location or whatever the hell Obama was doing or actually doing. And now, obviously, it's not something they actually cared about when it came to fiscal No, of course not. I mean, of course not, because, like, Trump is doing it many magnitudes worse every week, and not a peeve. Uh, every weekend, according to CNN, uh, who did the research, every weekend at Mar-a-Lago costs us, in terms of security, $3.3 million. Mm-hmm. Wow. He, is on, he has spent already, I think, as much as Obama did in one year. He's on track to spend, in his first year, as much on security as Obama did in eight years. Ooh. That, I mean, well, that is gigantic. You know let's, That's gigantic. Let's let President Donald J. Trump have that, and, you know, let's keep Medicaid. I, 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 I'll, I'll take that trade. I'm Okay, if he doesn't touch Medicaid or try to dismantle, you know, um, uh, uh, the EPA, yeah. he, he can have all, like, the taxpayer-sponsored golfing trips he wants. He can go to the Galapagos for as much as I care. Uh, I'll I'll pitch in the nickel. Uh, you know that's a, that that would be a that, that'd be a fair exchange, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it turns, by the way, I mentioned this yesterday on the on the golf. Uh, it was April twenty six before Barack Obama played his first round of golf, for which, by the way, he was slammed by Donald Trump for playing too much golf. Is my point, mm-hmm. right? Uh, already, and it's April eleven. Donald Trump has had sixteen rounds of golf in his presidency. So he is also on track to outpace Barack Obama in total number of rounds of golf as president. I don't have a problem with that. I don't care how much golf he plays, tell the truth. But you can't get away with making it a big deal when Obama does it and then oh. out Obama, Obama on the golf course. Oh, these guys don't care. <laughs> no. uh, like uh, these conservative talk radio hosts and, uh, and President Trump himself, you can point out this hypocrisy all day long. They do not care. And you know what? Uh, po- uh, Trump's poll numbers may be tanking, but it's not because of these elements of really annoying hypocrisy. Like uh, you just said a moment ago, you can't get away with it. Well, you can't in terms of if uh, Bill Press is going to talk about it and fairly assess you and what you're doing. But these guys get away with it. Yeah, oh, They yeah. get away with this all day long. <laughs> and they don't care. Of course not. No, I mean, hypocrisy and- in a in politics, it's always been one of those things that you can kind of skirt, but uh, Trump has just sort of magnified, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the, has made it even more explicit. It'll be amusing to hear when uh, Sean Spicer is challenged on those numbers, how he defends them. But... Oh, he'll lie about it. That seems to be what he um, Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the White House, you have been writing about uh, the um, 
the infighting uh, at, at the White House. There's, uh, it's gotten pretty nasty. There's a lot it? of petty and sometimes not petty palace intrigue going on in the Trump White House, yes. Trump HQ, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, and who are the players and who's on top? Uh, well, right now, it seems like Jared Kushner and his allies are ascendant in the Trump administration when it c comes to influence. Um, your listeners and viewers probably remember last week, there was a lot of news that spilled over into the public sphere yeah. regarding infighting in the White House um, that was being played out between uh the more nationalist wing of the Trump White House, which is, of course, epitomized by Stephen Bannon, Donald Trump's chief strategist and the former head of Breitbart, and the more um, traditionally Republican and centrist wing, which is, uh, uh, many would say, is headed by Jared Kushner, who is Donald Trump's uh, senior advisor, who also happens to be his son-in-law, married to Ivanka Trump. And... Uh, these clashes have been going on for a few weeks now, and sources I've been speaking to working in the Trump administration, uh, senior Trump administration officials have, for instance, described this infighting as, quote-unquote, nonstop and having everything to do with policy from immigration to trade to terrorism. Um, for instance, there was um, Stephen Bannon and his allies were upset with Jared Kushner recently for multiple times helping to arrange Zika Manuel, who, of course, is one of the brothers of uh, Rahm Emanuel and one of the uh, architects of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. uh, Kushner uh, reportedly organized uh, Emanuel to come to the White House at least a few times, uh, and at least one of which to meet President Trump directly. And Bannon and the Bannon wing of the White House were uh, upset about this. It's because why what are you doing this? What are you doing inviting this Democrat architect of Obamacare to try to come in and influence uh, Trump's health care policies on this. So that's just one of many examples. They've been clashing over all kinds of things. And uh, the piece I wrote about it, the little bit of news I broke last Thursday, was um, uh, Steve Bannon, behind Jared Kushner's back, will call him, uh, will, will basically name call. And this has included terms such as globalist, which is a favorite among uh, Steve mm -hmm. Bannon and his allies and people and nationalist uh, policymakers who think like Steve Bannon, and of course, people in the media who share his views, and a, uh, and I quote, a cuck, uh, which your listeners and viewers may or may not know. Is, can, for the people who uh, don't do I, know, do I have to explain? Yeah, can we just get like a quick, like, in, it, with regards to what this means to the political world, um, what is a cuck? Okay. Uh, cuck is short for cuck-servative, which is a blend of cuckold and conservative. And uh, for those of your listeners and viewers who know what a rhino is, a Republican in name only, this term is sort of a often sexually and racially charged version of rhino. It's a pejorative used uh, by guys on the far right, the alt-right, the nationalist right, whatever you want to call it, to put down uh, squishy moderates and squishy Republicans and conservatives. <laughs> People who are not hard right enough in their views or nationalist enough or who are too soft on immigration, things like that. Or a man who cannot handle his wife, right, or something like that. <laughs> 
Well, the meaning cuckold. <laughs> sure, sure. That that's what the first part means. So a but squishy, it's also, wishy washy, weak guy or something. Pansy man or whatever you want to call okay. it. Yeah. To, to, I mean, but the also, term is also a reference to. This is where it gets complicated. It's not just a reference to a cuckold in the traditional sense, I guess. Right. Uh, it's a reference to cuckold pornography, which is also racially charged. See, see here, yeah. I think we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but I just okay. wanted to get on the record. Being but clear. didn't he call him worse than that? Didn't he call him a Democrat? <laughs> uh, one of uh, the Trump administration, spe- uh, Trump administration officials speaking to me, again, uh, apologies to your listeners, I can't name any of these people, mm-hmm. obviously, was say- said that Steve Bannon thinks Kushner or Jared is worse than a Democrat, basically. Is he a Democrat? Um, he was a Democratic donor and a lifelong Democrat until a certain someone ran for president in 2016. Yes, mm. and other people in the That's so-called right. Trump was a Democrat too. Uh yeah, but not nearly as recently. And Trump was like hollering about like how we need yeah. to kick out uh, illegal aliens or whatever. Like much more recently, than Jared Kushner became a supposed Republican Party. Um, aid or now, whatever. Uh, but, but just for the record, I want you to know that Steve Bannon uh, does not agree. Uh, Steve Bannon, what am I saying? Uh, Sean Spicer does not agree with you that this is a real problem at the White House. Uh, he told us yesterday at the uh, briefing, um, we're making too much of this. Well, look, I think there's a lot of stuff that was overblown about this. Uh, that, that makes it out into to the media sometimes and gets a little bit more sensational than it truly is. There you go. Oh, well, he's lying. <laughs> no, like, like I, I, I could get more into that if you want to, how and why we know he's lying. But I think uh, it's that simple. He's lying. Okay. Well, first sure. of all, <laughs> sure. um, you mentioned sources. It, these people, uh, you find the Trump people pretty accessible to you as a reporter? Actually, the funny thing about this White House is the worse things get, the more chaotic and disorganized things get, the more officials and even senior Trump administration officials, or sorry, uh, senior administration officials in any administration, the worse things get, the more they're eager to chat to basically anybody who will listen. Uh, so and, that that's why. And you find that. You've got yeah. your sources inside the Trump White House. Uh, some are. Some are in other parts of the administration, yes. Okay. All right. Now. Um, we do know, or do we know, that there was a um, bury the hatchet meeting um, Friday yes. at Mar-a-Lago, yes. over where the Re- weekend. Reince Priebus actually sat the two of them down and said, "You've got to like each other." Or? Knock it off, basically. Yeah. And also, President Trump reportedly over the weekend helped uh, helped uh, foster this detente. Between Bannon and Kushner. Didn't he also tell them to work it out? Yeah. Knock it out, yeah, knock yeah. it off? Yeah. Yes. And uh, so for now, things have gotten much quieter. But Well, for, uh, for one for, day. Yeah, exactly. For, for the last <laughs> couple of days, for one weekend, um, after the infighting and the uh, uh, behind-the-scenes right. reporting of it, including from uh, uh, the yeah. DailyBeast.com, yeah. which yeah. I encourage uh, all your listeners and viewers to visit today. So do we. Thank we you. Thank that. you so much. DailyBeast.com. Um, when it got so uh, much of a thing, like a big story in uh, the national news media, uh, Trump finally had to step in and say, like, knock it off. And things have calmed down, as you said, for the last couple of days, and things have gotten quieter. But obviously the big question is how long will that quiet last? Uh, Because the thing that 
last week demonstrated, besides petty palace intrigue, which always happens in every White House, what this demonstrated, which actually is an important story, is that it represents an, um, un, a basically unbridgeable chasm and divide between two wings of the White House, which are trying to just uh, define President Trump's policy. And they're virtually irreconcilable. They, yeah. they, they, there's so little they agree on, and they are virulently opposed to each other. Uh, what was the significance of uh, Bannon losing his seat on the National Security Council? Oh, the significance of that was it was yet another uh, piece of news in the past week that Bannon's influence, um, at least very re recently, has been appearing to wane within the Trump White House. So does Just, he survive? Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's one of those things what where do you think? if he were gone in a week, kicked out, resigned, whatever, I wouldn't be entirely surprised. If he's there till 2018, I wouldn't mind uh, putting my money on that. Um, but uh, he says he said uh, Jonathan Swan, our friend from Axios, quoted him as saying, "Another very good reporter." Uh, I love a knife fight. So, oh, he didn't say that to Jonathan. Uh, jo no, uh, no, no. Quote, but, I mean, he, he said he was, that to associates, right? Sources yeah. then told but, Jonathan, which means but, that he sort of is relishing this and and intends to fight it out and stay oh, until the, the end. But the, who knows? The right? quote I was, "I love a gunfight," and gun then, fight, and sorry, then yeah. like twenty-four or forty-eight yeah. hours later always quiet on the Western front. Mm -hmm. Like, the, uh, uh, it, it's going to be very hard for any White House top aide, even as one as powerful and influential as Steve Bannon and as close to Donald J. Trump to win a gunfight against Trump's son-in-law. Yeah. yeah. That is a yeah. hard yeah, yeah, yeah. fight to win. Okay. And that is a Trump card that now, Mr. Kushner has. Where, exactly. Now, where this does come into play, uh, let's take a real, real life, Real world, if you will, example is this uh, cruise missile strike in in Syria, which uh, reportedly uh, Steve Bannon argued against. Jared Kushner was for, mm -hmm. and the alt right media, I mean Trump's kind of media enthusiastic media base, have been the most critical voices against this missile strike. I mean they've been flaying Donald Trump and. Jared Kushner by name for for taking this action. Where does what is that, what is where does that lead? Well, and you have to say, are they following Steve Bannon's direction? I don't think they're following the direction. All, all these guys you're talking about in far right or alt right media um, don't need anybody's direction to be against this Syria strike, yeah. like uh, because of how like uh, passionately nationalist they are. Of course, they're going to be against like further action in Syria. Uh, to get involved in this. But you, would, you would think if they were far right, they'd be extreme hawks. They would say rah, rah, rah. Well, that's the no. thing. It's for a bunch of these guys. It comes to down to bombing the wrong brown people like mm. they don't want them to attack Assad or his airfields. And by they, I mean the uh, uh, the Trump administration mm -hmm. or, or uh, the United States military. Yeah, uh, they and uh and this uh, this actually figures into Steve Bannon's uh, view of foreign policy. He wants a more m vigorous, uh, aggressive, um, I guess what some people would call muscular approach to like attacking and killing ISIS and like Islamists and and militant Islamists. Uh, but it, when it comes to specifically every conflict is different. When it comes specifically yeah. the conflict in Syria, um, on on the just general question of intervention, you'll see intersection between the far right and the far left in this country, just because uh, f for the usual 
buzzwords and key talking points. It's unwinnable quagmire. Um, you're going to draw us into a, a conflict where we end up helping ISIS, um, et cetera, et cetera. You need the authorization from Congress. Yes. Both yeah. arguments. Yeah. Rand, Rand well, we, Paul makes it. Barbara Lee makes it. Ted. I make it. <clears throat> there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, D- Ted Lieu has been making it every uh, chance he can get yeah, on yeah, every yeah. airwave. Yeah. And Tim Kaine and, yeah, mm-hmm. right, uh, and, and some others. So um, we'll, I guess we'll see how long this detente lasts uh, uh, at the White House. But isn't it also true that um, Donald Trump thrives on this? Um, I mean, he may have said knock it off. but don't He you may think have said knock it like off, wink, but wink? I, I actually, you know— I'm not in this particular situation. Who knows? But I actually did make this point um, a few days ago uh, when there were all these reports where it's like Donald Trump is getting pissed at all the reports of infighting among his like top advisors, which would be weird to anybody who has covered Donald Trump over the last few decades, who knows that he thrives on corporate infighting. He loves when his underlings squabble amongst themselves because a he loves the reality TV drama even before he was a reality TV star. It's a way for you to encourage indirectly your subordinates currying favor. And if uh, your top people beneath you are fighting, squabbling, and trying to sh- shiv each other or whatever, yeah, uh, you can be the ultimate benefactor. Right. Well, Aswin uh, saying at DailyBeast.com, of course, you know, you didn't make the Pulitzer this year, but someday do. All right. Next time. Thank you for coming in today. Anytime. Always great to see you. The category I cut reporting. (laughs) Have a great Tuesday, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is is the Bill Press Show. Well, as they say, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, and so is success in military operations, it seems, at least in the Trump White House. I mean, to hear Press Secretary Sean Spicer talk about it, you would have thought that Donald Trump would have started and ended World War III in one day, or no, just one hour. I mean, at yesterday's press briefing at the White House, Sean Spicer said that sending 49 cruise missiles into Syria last Thursday had an amazing effect. According to Spicer, it de-escalated violence in Syria, it protected the Syrian people from more violence, and it created safe zones where people in Syria could live safely and, and work and travel safely. In fact, Spicer said, and I quote, bombing Syria is, quote, the greatest thing you can do to support these people. I mean, who is he kidding? He should ask the Syrian people how they feel today. This civil war in Syria, which has been going on for six years, continues to rage on and on. Russian and Syrian planes have already dropped bombs on the same city, which was the target of chemical bombs last week. And refugees continue to flee the country heading anywhere but the United States, of course, because we won't let any of them in. The truth is, on the ground in Syria today, there is no change at all. It's still the hellish, dangerous, war-torn, violent place it's been for the last six years, where four million people have fled the country and some 400,000 people, innocent civilians, 
have been killed. When it comes to Syria, neither Donald Trump nor Sean Spicer have a clue what's going on. This is The Bill Press Show.